Well, this morning we start a new sermon series in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah is a favorite prophet of mine. I thought I would like to spend some time with him, especially in, in this season. But the answer to the question of why Jeremiah and why now, and I'm calling the series Jeremiads, which is a phrase based on Jeremiah's name that was coined in about the 1700s, first in France and then picked up in England. But a Jeremiad was a kind of oratory. It's a couple different definitions of it, a, a mournful cautionary cry of a prophet or the complaining tirades in a tone of grief or distress. Those two phrases describe a lot of what Jeremiah reflects. Uh, he was a, a man who was grieving over the waywardness of, of his country and trying to put them back in touch with the source of their life, which was a covenant relationship with God. You know, in, in our troubled uh, political era where we're so polarized, there are people uttering Jeremiads on both sides of that debate. And we get a little tired of hearing them. And people in Jeremiah's age got tired of hearing them as well. Because a Jeremiah is something we, we don't like hearing. But the question that we always have to work with is how do we listen to the truth and act on it even when we're tired of the way that the messengers are expressing it? And I think that's part of why I chose Jeremiah for this time. Because more important than, than how we listen is the, the timeliness of, of Jeremiah's message itself. It's an invitation to consider and act on God's first things, irrespective of, of what our circumstances are. And loving God and, and loving neighbor are things that we can do, answering those two parts of the great commandment that Jesus gives us, loving God and loving neighbor, are, are things that we can do irrespective um, of our circumstances. And so we begin today uh, with chapter 1, and we'll be in chapter 1 next week as well. And it is the call of Jeremiah. And as we'll see as the book is introduced, it's a ministry that stretches over many years. Three kings, the fall of Jerusalem, the captivity in Babylon is the, the period in which Jeremiah preached. And today we, we look at the, the story of God's call in his life, verses 1 through 8 in Jeremiah 1. The words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, of the priests who were in Anatoth in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of King Josiah, the son of Amnon of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. It came also in the days of King Jehoiakim, son of Josiah of Judah, until the end of the eleventh year of King Zedekiah, son of Josiah of Judah, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. And then I said, Ah, Lord God, truly, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a boy. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am only a boy, for you shall go to all to whom I send you, and you shall speak whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, help us to rest in that last sentence, 
Help us to know that the source of our strength is your presence, that irrespective of our circumstances, you are there and will remain there, for there is nothing that can separate us from your love. So give us the peace and the confidence that comes from that truth as we live our lives throughout this week. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So as I read that fearful and questioning statement of Jeremiah in the text this week, I'm only a boy, is what he said, trying to push away that sense of the bigness of the divine that was crashing into his world. It just seemed too big for him. But as I heard that phrase, I'm only a boy, it occurs to me how both the early and the later stages of our lives are often characterized by a question of our adequacy and our relevance. In youth, our inexperience and the limits of what we know lead us to a line not unlike Jeremiah's. I'm only a boy, I'm only a girl, I'm only a child, I I can't really cope with this. In old age, the fact that our turn is over, that our time has passed, what we lived is not what the current movers and shakers are necessarily living, that gets us also to question our adequacy and our relevance. And so the people who are the current movers and shakers often relegate the young to the kids' table and the old to the memory care unit. And so, of course, we question our relevance in those seasons of life. And when Jeremiah hears God's voice, he's a young man. He's just starting out in life in a way, and his response is really quite natural to what God invites him to do. His response is something akin to, who, me? Are you talking to me? Surely you're joking. Surely you can't be talking to me because I am only a boy. But God's response to that is, well, Jeremiah, that's not primarily what I'm concerned about. And why does this not concern me, you ask, perhaps? Because I've got the bigger picture in mind. And it's the picture that right now is hard for you to see. It's the picture of a time way before you and a time way after you. And you fit into that picture. You have a place in that story. Because I formed, because before I formed you, I consecrated you. Before I formed you, I appointed you. I imagined a story that you are not able to imagine right now. And I see you. But I see all of you, says God. I don't see just a boy. So don't say I'm only a boy. Because you are far more than you can imagine right now. You're a part of a story that involves you, but is much bigger than you. So go to whom I send you, is what God says. Speak to whom I command you. You don't and you never will 
carry the whole load. As heavy as it is, and as heavy as it will seem to you at times, it's not the whole load. And what you need to know, says God, in that last line that I read in today's text, is that irrespective of circumstances, irrespective of the temptation that's going to be upon you to let go of your part of this, I am with you to deliver you. And that's my word to you. What God is telling Jeremiah is what God tells all of us, is that your story is set in the bigger context of a bigger story, of our covenant relationship with one another, God's covenant relationship with us. And Jeremiah's name is something that even gives testimony to that. You know, we, we don't use names necessarily as, as a way of expressing a hope for a child in the way that the Hebrews did or in the way that Native Americans do today or, or other indigenous peoples. We, we tend to be the folks who, who take on the names of our ancestors and, and that's how we do the naming or we do a, a naming in terms of, of friends. But, but the Hebrew names are, are very much uh, an expression of, of a hope that parents have for their child and a hope about specifically their relationship with God. The interesting thing about Jeremiah, and this is the thing that you you have to realize about the Bible in general, is that sometimes we don't know what things mean. We don't have enough knowledge of the the ancient Hebrew to figure it out. And what, what, what we do know is that Jeremiah probably means one of two things. And maybe it means both, who knows. But it means either God exalts or God hurls. God exalts or lifts up or God hurls this one as a well-pointed javelin for a particular purpose. And so Jeremiah's parents named him Jeremiah, which is God exalts or, or God hurls. But either way, it's about the fact that he is a participant in a bigger story. And I want to just read a, <clears throat> a little passage about that from Peterson in Run With the Horses. He says, on the day that their son was born, Hilkiah and his wife named him in anticipation of the way that God would act in his life. In hope they saw the years unfolding, and their son is one in whom the Lord would be lifted up, Jeremiah, the Lord is exalted. Or in hope they saw into the future and anticipated their son as a person <coughs> whom God would hurl into the community as a javelin representative of God, penetrating the defenses of selfishness with divine judgment and mercy. Jeremiah, the Lord hurls. Either way, it is the clear that God is in the name, and Jeremiah's life was compounded with God's action. You're a part of the story, Jeremiah. Your parents have declared you to be a part of the story. I declare you now to be a part of the story, and it's a story, says God, that I am writing. And so what mitigates those feelings of irrelevance that Jeremiah has what mitigates the feelings of irrelevance that we might have is the knowledge that we get to be a part of what God is doing. A few years ago, <coughs> we read as a congregation Brian Stevenson's book, Just Mercy. Brian Stevenson is a founder and, and head of the Equal Justice Initiative. 
in uh, Birmingham, Alabama. I think it's Birmingham, but he he has argued cases before the the Supreme Court and uh, is a, a pretty remarkable disciple of Christ who has worked for equal justice in this country. And um, he tells the story toward the end of the book of a meeting that he has uh, with three elderly women, three women from uh, the civil rights movement who were literally queens of that movement. And they met on the front porch of one of their houses. Their, their names, just to remind myself here, uh, Johnny Carr, Virginia Durr, and the more familiar one to all of us, Rosa Parks. But he was describing his work, especially in answer to a question that Rosa Parks asked him one day on Virginia Durr's front porch as they were all talking. And he was mainly listening by his report. I want to read that section to you because it reminds me so much about I am only a boy and also how we're, we're carrying a part of the bigger story. The first time I met Miss Parks, I sat on Miss Durr's front porch in Old Cloverdale, a residential neighborhood in Montgomery, and I listened to the three women talk for two hours. Finally, after watching me listen for all that time, Miss Parks turned to me and sweetly asked, Now, Brian, tell me who you are and what you're doing. And I looked at Miss Carr to see if I had permission to speak. <laughs> And she smiled and nodded at me, and then I gave Miss Parks my rap. Yes, ma'am. Well, I have a law project called the Equal Justice Initiative, and we're trying to help people on death row. We're trying to stop the death penalty, actually. We're trying to do something about prison conditions and excessive punishment. We want to free people who've been wrongly convicted. We want to end unfair sentences in criminal cases and stop racial bias in criminal justice. We're trying to help the poor and do something about indigent defense and the fact that people don't get the legal help they need. We're trying to help people who are mentally ill. We're trying to stop them from putting children in adult jails and prisons. We're trying to do something about poverty and hopelessness that dominates poor communities. We want to see more diversity and decision-making roles in the justice system. We're trying to educate people about racial history and the need for racial justice. We're trying to confront abuse of power by police and prosecutors. I realized that I'd gone on way too long, and I stopped abruptly, and Ms. Parks and Ms. Carr and Ms. Durr were all looking at me. And Ms. Parks leaned back and said, smiling, Ooh, honey, all that's going to make you very tired, tired, tired. <laughs> and we all laughed, and I looked down a little embarrassed. And then Ms. Carr leaned forward and put her finger in my face, and talked to me just like my grandmother used to talk to me. She said, that's why you've got to be brave, brave, brave. And all three women nodded in silent agreement. And for just a little while, they made me feel like a young prince. What makes us brave is not a sense of individual competence or relevance. It's knowing that we are simply holding one piece of a much grander work that we could never fully imagine without God and without many, many others before us and after us. 
Planting the seeds we have to plant and doing the part that is ours to do when we can do it is all any of us can be about. And knowing that it is God who is with us to deliver us is what empowers us to persevere when that even that little piece seems to be getting too heavy. So yes, indeed, we are all called only girls or only boys at times. We all feel like only girls or only boys at times. But that's not the whole truth. Because God is at work. God is with us. And God invites us to be a part of what God is doing. Let's pray. Lord, take us beyond the limits of our own stunted imaginations. Take us beyond the delusions of our own grandiosity. And root us and ground us in your love in this present time. Help us to be the people who know that you are with us to deliver us. And let that be the thing that emboldens us. Let that be the thing that we reflect. Let that be the confidence-building reality that encourages us to persevere. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.